podcast, episode 136. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanretty. This week's episode is a little different, since we have reached the point in the story where there's a major difference between the surviving texts of the play. There are three main texts of Hamlet. Two of them are the most familiar, and these are the First Folio, a collection of nearly all of Shakespeare's plays put together in 1623, and the Second Quarto from about 20 years earlier. It is from these two that we know the play. There are occasional differences, but for the most part, it's these two that give us the Hamlet that we know. The First Quarto was discovered in the early 19th century, and it is a very peculiar document. It's a text of Hamlet by William Shakespeare, but it's about 1,600 lines shorter than the other two main texts. Character names are different, for example Polonius is called Corambus, and scenes appear in a different order. There's no consensus as to where this big divergence can have come from, but the explanation that I like the most is that it's something like a scribbled memoir documenting a version of the play that went on tour in 1603. The reason we come to discuss the first quarto this week is that we're at the one point where the first quarto actually has an entire scene that doesn't appear in the folio or the second quarto texts. Every other bit of the first quarto has at least some resemblance to the more familiar texts, but this little duet stands alone. If we were to cover every single textual difference between all three of these texts, we could spend eight years instead of four to complete this journey, and so I've mostly steered clear of this tricky first quarto. This is its moment, however. No harm to give it a week now that we've reached the scene that makes it unique. The scene is called Scene 14, and it takes place directly after Claudius speaks with Laertes, as we finished last week. Now Gertrude and Horatio enter. Horatio speaks first. Madam, your son is safe arrived in Denmark. This letter I even now received of him, wherein he writes how he escaped the danger and subtle treason that the king had plotted. Being crossed by the contention of the winds, he found the packet sent to the king of England, wherein he saw himself betrayed to death, and... At his next conversion with your grace, he will relate the circumstance at full. There's quite a lot of information here. Horatio is telling the Queen that Hamlet is all of a sudden back in Denmark. So much for his trip to England. Hamlet has written to Horatio, and it's from this that Horatio is now updating the Queen. This letter I even now received of him. The most important information, and it's more explicit in this text than anywhere in the others, is that Gertrude is told of Claudius's plot to kill her son. In the letter, he writes how he escaped the danger and subtle treason that the king had plotted. Somehow it's thanks to the contention of the winds, or stormy weather, we suppose, that Hamlet manages to find the packet of letters that Claudius sent to the English king. I doubt it would have had Claudius's line, Do it, England, scrawled on it, but it's telling that Hamlet learns of the plot to kill him and here Gertrude does too. Horatio promises that Hamlet will, at his next conversion, conversation, with Gertrude, relate the circumstance in full. What makes the scene particularly interesting is what Gertrude says next. Then I perceive there's treason in his looks that seemed to sugar o'er his villainy. 
but I will soothe and please him for a time, for murderous minds are always jealous. Gertrude doesn't say Claudius' name at all, and so we have to take a second to figure out that she's now talking about her husband. But she is acknowledging that her husband is a villain. There's treason in his looks that seem to sugar ore his villainy. I love this line. But, she says, I will soothe and please him for a time, for murderous minds are always jealous. She decides, perhaps wisely, that she won't let on, since if Claudius can so easily send his nephew to death, might she be next? Gertrude switches back to talking about Hamlet. But know not you, Horatio, where he is? It's a little confusing that Gertrude doesn't identify who or which he she's talking about. It's not hard to follow in context, but the vagueness is a little unusual for Shakespeare. Horatio does indeed know where Hamlet is. Yes, madam, and he hath appointed me to meet him on the east side of the city tomorrow morning. I love this because it's the only sense we really get that Elsinore is a castle within a larger community, a city big enough even to have an east side. Now, I don't know if Shakespeare had a clear sense of the city Hamlet was hiding in or how his Danish geography or city planning might have been, but it certainly would have made sense for his audience that someone might take cover in the east side or the east end of London. This was where the ships came in, and nobody from the palace or the upper echelons of power would be expected to go anywhere near it. Gertrude seems relieved to know that Hamlet isn't anywhere close to the court. Oh, fail not, good Horatio, and withal, commend me a mother's care to him, Bid him a while be wary of his presence, lest that he fail in that he goes about. Gertrude sounds genuinely maternal for perhaps the first time here. She encourages Horatio, sends him with a mother's care to Hamlet, and even has some sage maternal advice. He should be wary of his presence, or take constant care, so that he won't fail in what he's planning. Presumably she's guessing that now there's going to be a showdown between her son and her husband. Horatio agrees to do so. Madam, never make doubt of that. I think by this the news be come to court. He is arrived. Observe the king, and you shall quickly find Hamlet being here, things fell not to his mind. Horatio promises that he will advise Hamlet. Never make doubt of that. Then he gets a little bolder and intimates that he thinks the news will have reached the court that Hamlet has made it back to Denmark. He tells Gertrude to observe the king, since he won't be able to hide his displeasure that his plans for Hamlet have fallen through. It's a nice, almost final-sounding couplet. Observe the king and you shall quickly find, Hamlet being here, things fell not to his mind. This might be the end of the scene, but Gertrude has another question. But what became of Gilderstone and Rossencraft? Now, these characters' names are significantly different in this quarto text, but close enough that we still know who she means. And goodness knows people get their names wrong in the second quarto and the folio too. Horatio has this information for her too. He being set ashore, they went for England, and in the packet there writ down that doom to be performed on them, pointed for him and by great chance he had his father's seal, 
so all was done without discovery. Hamlet, conveniently, had his father's seal, and having intercepted that packet of letters for the English king, he switched things up, and there writ down that doom appointed for him to be performed on Gilderstone and Rossencraft. And, because he could seal the letter with the royal seal of Denmark, it all looked entirely official, and so all was done without discovery. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, or whatever their names are, getting whatever fate was planned for Hamlet feels entirely justified, but we will save whatever that fate might be for a little bit later in the play. Gertrude is again relieved. Thanks be to heaven for blessing of the prince. Horatio, once again I take my leave, with thousand mother's blessings to my son. It's possible that Gertrude was on her way out of the room when she returned to ask about Orr and G. This might make sense of why here she's saying that she once again takes her leave. Either way, she's thanking heaven for saving her son and sends Horatio to meet him with a thousand blessings. Horatio exits too, with a simple Madam adieu, and that's the end of the scene. It's interesting because this scene mirrors the previous encounter between Claudius and Laertes. Lines are being drawn, alliances made and loyalties tested. It also makes Gertrude one to watch if now she's aware that Claudius is continuing in his plans to murder members of her family. This short little scene feels like it amalgamates portions of the next three scenes in the second quarto text, all of which we still have in store, so you consider it a little like a trailer for some of the things yet to come. If you're particularly interested in the first quarto, you can find the full text alongside that of the first folio in a special edition prepared by the Arden Shakespeare's third series. Hamlet is the only play that has such a strong textual variation, and that's why it is the only text to have been paid such luxurious attention. It's a very interesting companion volume to the main second quarto text, and doubtless the variations and puzzles it presents will keep students intrigued for a very long time to come. You can find the full text of this scene on the show notes page of the website, thehamletpodcast.com, and I'll also add a link to a digital full text version of the first quarto, just in case you're interested. Next week will be another bonus episode, since we've well and truly finished Act 4, Scene 5. As always, thank you for your company, and I'll speak to you next time.